it's always a little bit hard to know exactly how, how I would def define our movement. I, you know, I think it's, uh, it, is, uh, it is strikingly heterogeneous. It's not, uh, it is, we're not, you know, the other side are the imperial stormtroopers, where it's all sort of in, in lockstep. And we are not, you know, we're not some sort of, you know, hippy-dippy burning man camp. We're not even some lame, happy-clappy church. You know, we are, uh, we're sort of more like this sort of ragtag rebel alliance. And, uh, you know, it's, the diversity is extreme. Maybe it's too much, maybe it's just right. But, you know, it's, it's everything from, you know, Princess Leah to, you know, the, the slightly uh, on the spectrum policy wonk, uh, C-3PO person to, you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps are a little bit overrepresented by, uh, by uh, the various teenage Chewbacca people uh, here. You know, I, I personally like to identify with Han Solo. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's sort of the capitalist in the group, but, uh, and then, you know, and then, you know, you can probably extend the analogy in all sorts of ways. Uh, President Trump is Obi-Wan, you know. The, the, more, uh, when, the more they strike him down, the more powerful he becomes. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, in, in this sort of spirit of, uh, of, um, of us not having all the answers, and, uh, uh, I, I, you know, uh, your, your mom asked me to, you know, talk about all the evil tech companies and how horrible California is and what do we do about China. And uh, I, th I thought I would, I would try to today uh, maybe just frame some of the issues and sort of try to e explain how I see the map, what, you know, what, what's actually going on. And then, and then once we have a map of, of what's going on with, with tech and California, maybe uh, that will suggest some approaches, some answers. So I'm going to try to make this a little bit less polemical, more informational, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit context setting. And, you know, I did, I did these sort of silly slides. Can people, can people see them? Yes, yes great. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll just uh, go through sort of the tech curse and then um, three variations on it as a problem for California, a problem for the Democrats, and a problem for the Republicans. And so, very straightforward. Let's, uh, let's start by defining the tech curse. Um, it is, um, it's equivalent to the natural resource curse, the oil curse, where uh, if you have a country with, uh, with um, you know, sort of an, an enormous gusher of wealth, it often leads to sort of extraordinary social and political misgovernance. And basically, you know, the, the nutshell version of it is that we should think of tech as the oil of the 21st century, and you can sort of, you can sort of um, go into all sorts of accounts of the microeconomics of these businesses. But you know, if you have, if you have sort of computer, internet, software businesses where, um, you know, maybe they're natural monopolies. They have these incredible economies of scale, uh, network effects, moats. But uh, per but perhaps even more simply, if you have something like like software where, you know, the marginal cost is zero. If you know. And then beyond a certain scale, it just, uh, it just prints enormous amounts of money. It creates enormous amounts of value. And, uh, and then it is subject to uh, some really crazy politics in terms of who tries to grab the value, how does it get redistributed, and, and things like this. And I, I want to focus a little bit on the sort of distortions, this kind of uh, superstructure of the computer industry, or maybe the information age more generally uh, creates, and then think about the challenges we have in that. So if we, if we look at uh, a place like California, uh, 
Um, and you know, so just, just to maybe level set what's actually worked about, about uh, tech broadly in the last, uh, in the last uh, 50 years or so, um, if, we, if we just uh, evaluate in terms of the, the market capitalizations of the companies that have been created, um, you know, almost all of it has been, has been tech in one form or another. Um, uh, I'm using the 73 oil shock, I'll explain why, we'll come back to that in a bit. But if you look at the last 50 years, you know, go with Cal Calvin Coolidge, the business of America is business, and it has just been overwhelmingly tech, computers, internet, mobile internet, that's where, that's where the value, that's where the value's been created. Uh, Something like seven out of the, of the ten top ones were built in California. You know, two of them have left Tesla and uh, Oracle have now left California. So there's probably some point where, you know, the tech curse can be so bad, the misgovernance gets so bad that even the tech companies leave. You know, something like this can happen also with oil where you have an oil state that gets so misgoverned it can't even produce oil anymore, you know, sort of like Venezuela or something like this. And so it was always a question whether, whether California is, is somewhere close to that point. But, uh, but, but the background is that you've just had this gold rush, this incredible gusher. And then it is striking, if you sort of look at everything else, um, how little value's been created in everything else. And so it has been, you know, it has been this narrow cone of progress around the world of bits, you know, not the world of atoms. Uh, even most of the companies on this list, even though they're not like computer companies, they're mostly sort of adjacent to it in one way or another. They're sort of, a, you could say they're products of the information age, which would be, you know, the healthcare companies, you know, even the bigger, um, bigger ones like um, Home Depot, um, Costco, Walmart should be on this list, it was, a little bit, was started a little bit earlier than 50 years ago. But the, uh, even the, the giant uh, supermarket uh, retail stores were sort of uh, centralized, figured out, you could run Walmart, you could have a set of computers in Bentonville, Arkansas, control how to manage everything. And so you have to think of most of these in the banks and all these things were mostly these sort of virtual information age, age businesses. And then the sort of kind of, sort of much broader um, uh, growth that, uh, that characterized most of the 20th century or 19th century in America has not been represented by this. So it's again this narrow cone of progress around the world of bits, whereas you know most of the areas of atoms have been more stagnant. The, you know the way I always like to tell this is when I was in, when I was an undergraduate at Stanford in the late 80s. Um, you know it was already the case that there were basically no engineering fields you wanted to go into. You know uh, you were out of your mind to go into aeroastro engineering or nuclear engineering. So people already understood those were bad, but certainly mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, you know all these sort of things having to do with atoms turned out to be very bad. I think electrical engineering still had another good decade or so, and then basically, you know, the only field that worked, that really worked was computer science, which was not even, an engineering was kind of a, a dumb uh, sort of field for people who were not very good at math. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always the things that call themselves science, you have to always be skeptical of, you know, it's like, it's like political science, climate science, and computer science. So, um, 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 but, uh, but it is sort of, it is sort of this very odd thing where if you, you know, do this over, a quarter century, um, this is sort of the, the one thing, the one thing that did work. And then, um, and then you know, it, it, uh, it, it has, if you sort of look at it from a macroeconomic point of view for California, which, you know, luck or for whatever reason, um, benefited so much from this gold rush. We're now at a point where, uh, you know, normally say California is the fifth largest economy in the world. 
it is at this point really close to overtaking Germany, which is number four, and Japan, which is number three, and then the only two that would be left would be the US and China. It's probably hard for California to overtake the US. Um, and, uh, and then if you, if you look at it something like a per capita GDP uh, type calculation, uh, California um, with you know, just under 40 million people, you know, same GDP as Germany with 82 million, uh, um, the 2021 numbers, 2022 numbers on the previous slide were, you know, it's, e it's even stronger there with the, with the strong dollar. Um, you're basically having the same economic output as, um, as a country with twice the population. Japan, 125 million people, barely more than California, three times the population, um, barely more than California. And so there is, there is something about it that's worked, uh, you know, in quite a powerful way macroeconomically. Um, uh, you know, I think, um, I, th I think we can, um, uh, and then of course, there are all these things about it that, uh, that didn't work, that uh, like, a, like a sort of not well-functioning oil state led to uh, incredible, uh, incredible misgovernance on the level of California. And uh, I, I wanna basically uh, sort of suggest two main vectors of misgovernance where you sort of have these, uh, these, uh, these massive um, gains in GDP that came from the, you know, the tech industry from the only game in town, and then that got rerouted into uh, an extremely corrupt, dysfunctional government on the one hand, and uh, into, uh, into sort of various uh, quasi-governmental real estate rackets on, on the other. Uh, the, um, you know, the stat here, uh, if, if you look at every state in the country, um, the premium that government workers make over, over um, private sector workers, California, far and away number one in the country, 53% premium, you get paid 53% more if you're a government worker in California than if you're a private sector worker. This does not even include the, uh, the uh, Calster sort of retirement benefits. If you, if you were to do the correct accounting for those, you get paid roughly 100% more, double. You get paid double as a, a government sector worker than as a, uh, as a private sector worker, which, you know, of course, the deal is you're supposed to, you know, it's of course you, don't, you have zero risk of losing your job, you don't have to work very hard, and so this is, you know, this is just sort of like an extraordinary racket. And then, and then when, you have a, when you have a sort of a state that gets hijacked and gets used, uh, used for, uh, where, where the sort of incredible resources get hijacked by the, the state actors, you end up with these very weird things where, you know, California ranks pretty high on the uh, spending per student and pretty low on, on the scores. And so that's, uh, that's sort of the way, the way it tends to cash out. So, a shockingly failed state relative to uh, this, uh, this, this incredible boom. And then I think sort of there are a lot of other ways you could, you could describe this, but one, one other dimension, of course, is that uh, so much of the gains got captured into, into real estate in one form or another, where uh, California had this sort of, you know, there was a California of the 40s and 50s and 60s where you uh, had affordable housing, you built it, you had sort of this mass affluent suburban society, um, and at some point, it ran out. You know, Orange County kept doing it for, for you know, a few decades at a slowing pace. Marin County, I think, was sort of uh, was early. We basically flatlined the growth. I always think Marin County and Orange County are good contrasts because they're roughly the same size. Um, Orange County is about three million people. Marin County is about 250,000. Three quarters of Mar Marin County is sort of set aside as land that can't be developed in any way. Um, and basically, the population flatlined. Um, in the early 70s, and probably today we're at a point where you should think of all of California 
Orange County, even all of California, is effectively close to Marin County. Virtually impossible to do uh, to do anything uh, new in real estate, and then uh, and then you end up with these incredible incredible windfalls in uh, in certain uh, in real estate as a financial asset, not as a not as a place to live. Um, and and then and then basically, you know, when you when you uh, adjust for this, you know, uh, the, the cost of living in California, something like 40% higher than the rest of the country, cost of real estate roughly double, and you basically have to, you know, you basically have to replace the middle class in, in one way or another. Uh, Carol Quigley, the, the Georgetown historian from the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, Professor Georgetown was, um, had this line in 1960 that I still think is very accurate today, which is that the uh, the Republicans are the party of the middle class and the Democrats are the party of everybody else. And if you sort of have, uh, the, so there's sort of a way that the California economy, if you say the only middle class people left are government workers, and then every, all the rest of the middle class were sort of evicting to, to these other states over time, um, it is no wonder that you get sort of a D plus 30 state. That just, that just follows naturally from, from these uh, super, super distorted um, uh, real estate uh, and uh, political dynamics. Now, I, I, I get, there's probably a lot more one could say about the real estate stuff. I keep thinking that, um, you know, it's, it's obviously very dysfunctional to have, you know, mass homelessness. It's very dysfunctional to uh, have no law and order. But if you think of it as a, as a sort of inefficient redistributionist strategy, there's a lot of it that has a certain weird perverse logic. I, I'll just sort of describe this verbally, but if you have a, if you have a super negative supply curve with an inelasticity of minus two, where if you add 1% supply to housing and the prices go down 2%, or if you reduce the supply by 1%, the prices go up by 2%. And so, you know, the more housing you build, the less it is collectively worth. Um, the less you have, the more it is collectively worth. If, if you get to something that's, that's that inelastic, probably, um, from the point of view of housing as a financial asset, all sorts of things that seem uh, like so social pathologies just become uh, features. I, th I think even something as crazy as the out of control homeless situation in San Francisco where I lived for you know, 15 years, uh, for many years you could think of as, uh, as it was sort of like this controlled thing where you know, the homeless people were in the lower parts of town, they didn't climb up the hills, and then uh, if you had this sort of plague of homeless people that were sort of uh, messing up these neighborhoods and you had this negative, uh, highly negative uh, elasticity of, of real estate, the value of the houses on the hills went up way more than the value of the houses on the flat parts went down. And so uh, you have to think of the homeless feature, people as like this, uh, this feature to increase um, the value of sort of um, the higher end real estate in the city. And that's sort of this, this cauldron you're stirring. And there's probably some version like this with, with uh, you know, um, defund the police, no law and order. In theory, yeah, that's bad for San Francisco, but then uh, it drives up the house prices in Marin way more than it lowers them in San Francisco. So it's again, in a, in a, in a world where the housing is this dysfunctional, all these weird things, uh, all these weird things become possible. There's a version in Palo Alto where you have you know, this, this sort of eyesore called East Palo Alto. You, you, you would think it should have just been raised to the ground and redeveloped 20, 30 years ago, but uh, it has just the effect again of, of um, massively driving up uh, the, pr the prices where, uh, where the real estate is, um, is basically a very, very inefficient and screwed up way 
to, um, to redirect the, uh, the gold rush profits from tech. So incredible uh, misgovernance on, on every level. And, uh, and then sort of the, you know, the way I would, the way I would summarize the California framing is that, you know, it is, it's not the worst oil country, it's not the best. You know, it's roughly somewhere in between. You know, the, the, uh, it's not as good as Norway. We're not as bad as Equatorial Guinea. And, uh, and we should, you should think of it as basically roughly on par with, with Saudi Arabia, you know, the, uh, the Magic Kingdom. And, um, and, uh, and you know, I, and I, there probably are all these different, uh, different analogies one could develop a lot more. Um, you know, I'm inclined to think that uh, you know, if, if the reality is this, uh, this extremely narrow boom that has been sort of politically hijacked and misdirected in a lot of ways, um, uh, and we should be thinking a lot more about the superstructure. Obviously, there are things one can say that are critical of Google and Apple and, and, and Facebook and, and the other big California tech companies, but, uh, you know, it's, that's not the core thing we should be going after. It's uh, just like Saudi Aramco isn't the main problem in Saudi Arabia. It's, it's like the most functioning institution. It's, it's kind of screwed up. All these big companies are kind of screwed up, but uh, it's the superstructure that's, uh, that's, that's really, really deranged. And, um, and, and probably one other Saudi analogy I'll just, uh, I'll just make is that I, I suspect that the wokeism and the Wahhabism should also be thought of as roughly the same category. Um, and my, 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 um, my, my, my mental model, my mental model is that it's something like, it's, 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 it's confusing because you have some true believers and there's some very crazy people in Saudi Arabia and there's some very crazy people in California, but uh, probably the ratio is something like 20% uh, true and 80%, you know, it's just, you know, it's just sort of the, um, the Saudi prince, um, you know, bringing alcohol into the country or Gavin Newsom having dinner at the French Laundry or stuff like that. And uh, it's, that's actually sort of in some ways reassuring because it, it shows that you don't really believe the Wahhabi or, or the woke nonsense, even though it is sort of this, this, this part of the ideology um, that, uh, uh, and it probably again, uh, in some ways gets subsidized by, by the insane cash flows, but uh, we, we, shouldn't, we should not confuse it as, as, as the main thing that's going on. So, yeah, so there's, that's sort of the, the challenge for California, and, and you know, you never, the, the problem for California is you never, you never actually, um, no oil country ever gets rid of the oil. It might, be, it might be bad for it, but people don't actually get rid of it, and so the, uh, you know, there's always a chance, maybe California implodes like Venezuela, there's a risk it just can keep going like Saudi Arabia for, uh, for decades in this, uh, in this rather suboptimal version. Um, now, I think, I think the, the, uh, the strange thing is that there sort of are ways that uh, the, um, the, the tech curse on California is also a challenge for the parties more broadly. And let me just say something about both the Democrats and, and the Republicans. And the, and the, the, basic, the basic problem is, you know, whatever you know, sort of works in California obviously does not scale. You know, Saudi Arabia sort of works for 25 million people. If they had, you know, 500 million people, it would not be as prosperous. You wouldn't have as much oil. And in a similar way, um, you know, you can't actually scale the tech companies by a factor of 10, if you, or eight, or you know, to the from California to, to the U.S. as a whole. And so, um, so it is always, it it doesn't actually scale. And so, what what can work in a completely um, 
crazed place like Saudi Arabia or California um, probably won't work for the Middle East as a whole or for, uh, for, um, for the US as a whole. But, um, but on the democratic side, my, my, my read on the politics is the, the curse is that there is actually no alternative for them but to somehow pretend that they can make California work for the country as a whole. And, uh, and so, um, and so I'm, I'm just gonna go with the, uh, go look at the uh, presidential candidates for 2024 um, based on the sort of predicted uh, uh, betting markets rankings. I think these are always you know, reasonably, reasonably um, I, I sort of always tend to believe these numbers as, as pretty good. And uh, California just has a complete lock on the future. Uh, we can come back, to, um, come back to Joe Biden. I think he's the only one I would sort of definitely sell at 35 cents. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, both Kamala and Gavin Newsom, you know, um, they don't really stand for anything. I, you know, I, I remember um, running into both of them at my friend Sean Parker's wedding in 2013 at Big Sur. It was sort of all these liberal people from Silicon Valley and the two of them were basically assiduously courting the different guests. Kamala was the attorney general in California, just been elected attorney general. Gavin had just been elected lieutenant governor. And you could, I mean, you could just tell they were the absolute, there was no difference between them at all. They were identical. I mean, they were just the best of frenemies, you know? And, uh, and that is, but that is sort of, and then of course there was a prehistory where, you know, they'd been entangled in these crazed San Francisco city politics. Gavin had been the mayor and, and, um, and Kamala had been the DA. And so they had somehow been entangled in this, in this uh, somewhat fake California thing that doesn't scale to the whole country. People don't really, can't, it's hard to articulate what's wrong, but that's sort, of, that's sort of the default that is on offer for 2024. And um, the only thing that it has going for it, or the, the, the one big thing it has going for it is this kind of historicist argument. It's on the side of the future. It's on the side of the 21st century. We have to make this future work. It's maybe it's dystopian, but uh, you know, don't want to be like Germany or Japan where they chose sort of social democracy over tech. That doesn't quite work. And, um, and then what are the alternatives? And so just to enumerate the failed 20th century alternatives, you know, we have the sort of the fake uh, blue collar alternative, uh, which I don't know, that, that probably, uh, that, that probably sailed 50 years ago, quite, quite implausible. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think there is probably still some fake 20th century university model. You know, the, uh, the Rhodes Scholar, the, um, the Puritan minister from Harvard. I always think of Elizabeth Warren as the sort of Puritan minister from the 17th century, the less nice part of the 17th century. I mean, you know, she, do, she doesn't actually believe in God, but you know, other than that, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's about as nasty as anything you could have hoped for from the 17th century. But, um, but uh, the problem with um, the, problem with the uh, colleges is they're even more zero-sum, it's even less growth, it's even, it's even less positive than, than, uh, than all these others. And so somehow the Boston model, if we want to call it that, um, uh, is, is, is going to lose to California anytime. And then... Uh, and then we have probably some kind of New York City uh, sort of banking finance model where you know, there's, we always need banks, there's some room for you know, moving money around in an economy. Uh, it probably 
uh, got too, got overextended in the in the financial bubble in the 2000s. Uh, it still ha probably has not corrected fully. But you can sort of think of the contest between, you know, Hillary Clinton as sort of the globalist finance model, where Manhattan writes a little piece of paper telling the rest of the world to, that you owe me money, and then you can think of, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders as the Brooklyn guy and. AOC is the Bronx or Queens or wherever she's from. And so the other boroughs saying we need to move some money from Manhattan to the other boroughs. We need to redistribute some of this money. Um, and uh, and this, sort of, uh, this sort of redistribution of financial flows model, uh, again, my, my thesis is um, works even less well than California. You're not going to fool people with this at all. And so there is sort of this, this strange way where the curse for the Democrats is they have they have no alternative to California. It's these sort of historicist arguments that lock them onto California. And then um, it doesn't scale. This is the, the thing you have to just underscore, you know. Uh, Google, Apple, these companies, they're, they're a certain size. They're not going to be, you know, they're global. So they're not going to, there's no way they get 10 times as big. So um, whatever works in California will not, will not scale. And you're, you're just locked in this, this very weird thing that it's, it's strong enough to crush everybody else in the Democrat Party. It's probably... Um, not strong enough to be sort of a very compelling agenda for the country as a whole. And then if, if I want to put, put this in a somewhat, you know, bigger philosophical context, I think you can think of, uh, you can think of this, entire, uh, this entire agenda, uh, the, the California ideology, um, as, uh, as, as, as articulated by the Club of Rome in, in this book, The Limits to Growth, written in 1972. Not a very good book but somehow sort of extremely prescient. And you know, it, it has somehow described you know, in a lot of ways the kind of transformation that we have. We're, you know, uh, we're heading towards a society where there's limited growth in the world of atoms, you know, no, no population growth, um, uh, you know, and, and the, probably all these ways that the limits to growth people underestimated how much you know, a zero growth society would derange things. You know, if you, if you, if you sort of think of, let's say, the middle class are the people who think their kids will do better than themselves. In, in a world of zero growth, all these sort of cultural institutions have to derange, have to unravel, have, have to go crazy. Um, and it's always unclear to me how much the people who pushed these ideas in, in the early 70s uh, knew it. I think, you know, but, 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 and somehow California was, you know, was at the very center of this. It's probably a story of the Brown senior the, uh, the 50s, 60s Democrat governor uh, who built highways and was suburban and all the suburban sprawl, and then Brown Jr., his first coming, 72 to 82, uh, and it was basically, we need, you know, we need to protect the environment, and you'll have clean air, but you won't work in a steel factory anymore, and uh, that's, uh, that's, that's going to be the future. And, um, and somehow, that's, uh, that's sort of the ideological structure on the, on the Democrat side for which they have no alternative. And then, you know, the California thing offers some limited growth in this world of tech. It's not enough to fix the whole society, but, uh, but you know, if you don't want California, maybe you can have Greta and everyone can drive a bicycle, something like that, but it's, uh, it's, gonna, be, it's gonna be quite limited. Now, let me, just, uh, let me just end by saying where I think this is also somewhat of a challenge for, for the Republicans. And probably, you know, the temptation on, on our side is always going to be that, uh, that we should just, um, you know, all we have to do is say that we're not California. 
It's, it's just that if, 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 if this is just, um, it's such an ugly picture. It's the homeless poop people pooping all over the place. It is, it's the ridiculous uh, rat infested apartments that don't work anywhere. It's the woke um, insanities. There's so much about it that uh, it feels like, you know, sort of shooting fish in a barrel. It, it, it is so easy, so ridiculous to denounce. Um, but, uh, but, I, I, but I'll frame this as a question, you know, is should we maybe also have more of a, you know, have more of a positive agenda? And then this is sort of where my, you know, my intuition is that the sort of nihilistic negation um, is probably not enough. It might be enough to win in the midterms in 22. It might be enough to win in, uh, in 24. But uh, we want to have something that's, uh, that's somewhat more of a program, positive vision, some, something like that to be, to be credible. And certainly my scoring on, on the 22 cycle is we're doing even less well than 94 with Contract for America. We're doing less well than uh, 2010, um, uh, the Tea Party stuff in 2010. Um, and uh, and we're, we're leaning way too far into the pure nihilistic negation. We're not California. We can be Luddites with tech. We don't like tech. We don't like California. We don't like the woke stuff. All of that's true, uh, but uh, it's it's not necessarily a way that we we get back we get back to some form of of broad-based growth that is you know not inflationary and not cancerous and um, and not and not some kind of narrow real estate racket. Um, and then um, and then just to um, I frame this at least as a question where, you know, you can say we have all these different states where we're, we're trying these different things. And uh, I think, um, I, I do think uh, DeSantis in Florida is, is probably the best, the best of the governors in terms of, you know, offering a real alternative to California of, of trying to tackle California in some ways. And then the cautionary note, in my judgment, would be um, if, if we are going to have a high growth alternative the, 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 the real estate version of the test is does the real estate, do the real estate prices come down? Do they stay cheap? And, uh, and the fact that real estate in Florida or Texas has melted up over the last two, three years is not evidence that you're succeeding in building a better model than California. I worry that that's evidence that you're, you're becoming like California. And I, I bought a place here in Miami and September 2020, it's 18 million, whatever, it's now, you know, 35 million. It's great as, as, as an investment. But um, it would be so much healthier if this was just a bubble and the prices would collapse and it would all go down 50% again because unlike California, you could build a lot of things and, and, uh, and, uh, and it might take a few years. But that's, that's sort of the, the open question, I would say, about Texas and, and Florida. Are they still places where um, you can genuinely have affordable housing? It's always, you know, I always think um, the thing that's very confusing about housing is, is it's both a real asset and a, and a uh, virtual asset. So you think of a house as a nest, as a place to live, in which case you want a big house that's affordable, not too expensive. And then you can think of a house as a nest egg, as a, as a number on an Excel spreadsheet, where as long as the number goes up, um, you don't care whether it's a rat-infested apartment in Manhattan or anything like this. And, uh, and surely the much healthier um, alternative to California ha has to be one where it's, it's cheap, 
it never overshoots. This is not how you're going to make money by housing. Um, it's, 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 it's really just a place for middle-class people to, um, to, to live. Let me, um, so I think, I think in general, this is sort of a challenge I would, I would pose to all, all of you is, is how, how does one, how, how do we do better than California? And it's, um, and uh, you know, we, we can go with a nihilistic negation, we can, we can denounce it in all these ways, um, but, um, but the question is always, how can we do better? How can we, uh, how can we concretely offer a vision for the 21st century that's, uh, that's better than the California alternative? And um, you know, let me say one last thing on, on um, concretizing this with respect to China, of how do, um, how do we make California, uh, you know, um, what's the right plan for China? I know this will be the next panel. This will be discussed at great length at this at this conference, and then um, and then how does one um, and what's yeah what's the California plan? Can you do better than the California plan? So um, I don't know. There's sort of a lot of things one could say about China. The the the, the rough schematic idea I always have is that you have sort of a uh, maybe maybe you can we can we can be economically hawkish. Or militarily hawkish, or economically dovish, or militarily dovish. So, sort of very simple two by two quadrant for how to deal with China. Um, so, you know, you have tariffs, and you bomb them. That's the econ and um, military hawk. There's um, there's the we trade with them and bomb them. That's the insane neocon quadrant. Okay, so that's that one's obviously that's obviously the very dumb quadrant. And then. Um, and then there is, uh, you know, th I, th I think the, the, the Trump one that made sense was tariffs, but, you know, we'll, we'll try the tariffs first and we don't bomb them right away. Um, so that, that one kind of makes sense. Um, and then I think there's something like the California qu quadrant, which is, um, um, you know, we don't, uh, to first approximation, we do, we do nothing at all. And we're just going to escape into the internet the metaverse, artificial reality, virtual reality, and um, you know we are—we're not even going to try to compete with China. Um, they pay their people too little. We can never compete with that, and we're—we're we're just going to have sort of one escapist fantasy after another. Now, if you were to steel man the California thing, and if you said, well, you know, is this really going to work? This doesn't, doesn't sort of just—just just not engaging with China at all doesn't seem like it should work at all. The steel manned version of California, and I don't, I don't know if you could get people to say this on the record, but this is sort of what, what I imagine some of them would say is, um, well, we will defeat China with better propaganda, and we will, we will convince them um, to become like California in one way or another, and, um, and they, will, they will clean up their whole environment, and, uh, and they will impose, they'll have something as ridiculous as the California Coastal Commission, and they will impose it on, on, on China, and uh, and they're going to do sort of a variety of things like this. Um, this it's, it's, it seems like a very preposterous plan. Um, it was in, uh, in, in, in putting the speech together, it was interesting that uh, there was one version of this where I think something like this might have actually worked, uh, where um, China's one-child policy, again, this is always hard to know the exact history in these things, but uh, it, um, um, the, the policy architect was this guy, Zhang Jian, who, um, was this Maoist China military science? He went to some conference um, in, in, in Finland 
1978, and he got off the shelf. He picked up the Limits to Growth book. He read it, and then he applied it to China, and then he started uh, pitching all these um, uh, reductions in childbirth and policies, and it was gonna have, China was gonna have three billion people by 2100 unless they got their act together. And then uh, he sort of catalyzed this thing where, uh, where the, uh, the um, Politburo in by 1980 had implemented the, uh, the one-child policy. And so uh, perhaps one can score that as, as a victory for the, uh, the, the California propaganda. I, I, I wouldn't count on us doing that again. Um, I wouldn't count on, you know, this, this is sort of like a wokeism, Wahhabism version where, you know, the way Saudi Arabia and California compete with the world is we have a really, really insane ideology and we can afford it a little bit better than everybody else and it's gonna screw up everybody else even more. So uh, per perhaps that can work. I, 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 I tend to think one has to take China more seriously, but, uh, but the question, you know, the question we, we, uh, I would leave to the other panel is, how do you do better than California? How do you actually deal, uh, actually deal with China in a way that's, uh, that's likely to work. And uh, it's not a high bar, but uh, it's a bar we need to meet. Thank you very much.